As promised, Dr. Gallagher is joining us on season two, episode one of Truth Be Told, Hosea 4-6 podcast. Stay tuned. What's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Trevi Trev. Trevor Delaney coming back to you for season two, episode one. I know kind of we kind of, you know, concluded on whatever note. Uh, Jamal and I have a lot going on, so this is not a full-time job for us. But we just felt the need to go ahead and just start up season two. So we do appreciate everybody that tuned in and listened to us. Uh, in season one, we had a lot of good feedback. We appreciate y'all. We reached the pinnacle of right around 15,000. Now we're close to 2,000 downloads and we're not even a year old. So that's something phenomenal for us. Um, let's see what else. House stuff. We saw a tremendous response uh, from the subjects dealing with uh, anything of the occult, demonology. Uh, tremendous response from Father Eric Younger episode who is the anglican exorcist who joined us uh so you guys had a lot of questions about that we received a lot of inbox comments on that subject as well uh so without further ado i'm going to introduce our guest because i want to really pick his brain over that course of time why uh while we were on break here at tbt hosea I read a book called Demonic Foes, my 25 years as a psychiatrist investigating possessions, diabolic attacks, and the paranormal. And what's unique about this is, as you see behind the author's name, the initials is MD, medical doctor. Uh, so I've been advertising all week on our uh, Instagram page and Facebook page about Dr. Gallagher even abstracting a click from a clip from YouTube. Most of y'all seen that. I think a lot of people may have been apprehensive about responding to that clip. I mean, it is kind of kind of punchy in the gut. I'm gonna tell you, there was some chapters in there. I had to take a couple deep breaths on that one. Um, but we're gonna be talking about that uh and more with Dr. Gallagher. Dr. Gallagher, so let me say welcome to Truth Be Told, Hosea 4 6. Thank you, and thank, thank you for inviting me. Yes, sir, most definitely, most definitely. Uh, so I, if you want, you can go ahead and tell the people. I always allow my guests to tell the people a little bit about themselves. I know some people might read the bio, but whatever you want the audience to know, you can take 90 seconds here just to disclose any information you want people to know about yourself. Uh, well, uh, I am a Christian, of course, and... Um, I am a professor of psychiatry. Um, I do a lot of teaching. I teach at Columbia University and New York Medical College, as well as um, at a uh, seminary in New York. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm also a, a practicing psychiatrist. And I am now the longest standing American member of a group called the International Association of Exorcists. Right. right. Served as their scientific advisor for a while. So between that and um, the fact that uh, I've been asked by clergy of different faiths to evaluate an enormous number of people who either are or think they are attacked by demonic spirits, uh, I've, I've, had a, I've had a lot of experience in this field. Mm -hmm. Now, you said you teach at a seminary in New York. I did not know that. What's the name of the seminary? Yeah, I teach at uh, St. Joseph's. Uh, okay, Catholic. In New York. Yeah. Gotcha. Got okay, nice, nice. So on top of that, you psychiatrist, and he's teaching in seminary for all my seminarians, you know, in the ivory tower, what we call ivory tower dwellers. <laughs> you go, you sneak away in your ivory tower. So you just said that you had a lot of experience in this field. How does somebody with a background in psychiatry, psychology, dealing with the brain, how do you get involved in this type of field where it's almost the taboo? It's, 
you know, like for me, I've only I've only seen one demon cast out a person in my time. I'm 33. That happened when I was four years old. So it's, you know, it's like, how does somebody get involved with your credentials? You know, I know the book, how it starts off. Can you tell for the audience, how, how do you get involved in this? Or how did you come involved in diagnosing possessions, oppressions and vexations or anything dealing with uh, preternatural experiences? Well, I always tell people, uh, uh, Trevor, everything I got involved in in this field, I've been asked to do. In other words, I didn't really go out of my way to get involved. Uh, maybe I see it having been asked as more providential that way. Mm -hmm. you know? uh, ultimately, I think uh, I was called by the Lord to, to help out in this area. So uh, originally, after finishing my, my residency, I trained at um, a good program, Yale University. Mm -hmm. And uh, I took a job as a, um, what they call an attending psychiatrist at a program in New York. And a priest um, who happened to know I was a practicing Catholic uh, came into my office one day and asked me if I would be willing to help him evaluate people who um, whom he who he thought uh, were probably um, demonically attacked. And I was a little skeptical and I, I told him so. And he said to me, well, if you're skeptical, Dr. Gallagher, you're the perfect person for the job. And then, you know, later uh, I was asked to do a few other things. I was asked to join the International Association of Exorcists. Um, still later, I was asked to do some writing in this area by different, different magazines and be interviewed on CNN and stuff like that. And then uh, more recently, thank you for mentioning my book. It's called uh, Demonic Foes, very easily available on uh, Amazon or wherever, wherever, uh, published by HarperCollins. And what I liked about HarperCollins' involvement in publishing the book was they let me. They let me let the book. They let me write the book I wanted to write. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, uh, I think you're familiar with it. Uh, you mentioned, and uh, I do tell some harrowing stories, but um, you know, it's also it's also a very serious book. And as a uh, psychiatrist, uh, you're right in your comments that this is a controversial subject. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say that most psychiatrists do not believe in this sort of stuff. But one has to realize too that it's a little understandable because they they see a number of people who only think or imagine that they're attacked by demons. So they just assume everybody is, is in that category. Uh, possessions themselves, which is kind of the most severe form of a demonic attack, uh, I'm sure I, I've evaluated over a hundred of those and heard about many more wow. as a member of the organization, uh, the International Association of Exorcists. Mm -hmm. Even though I say that, uh, Mr. Delaney, these are, these are rare conditions. Yeah. I've seen so many because I've gotten calls from all over the country and sometimes all over the world to evaluate these patients. Now, things, other, other types of demonic attacks like infestations or what we usually call oppressions, which are more minor demonic attacks than possessions. I, I, I've, I've seen more of those. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Still, it's not like this is so common that, you know, most people are going to see this sort of thing. Right. Yeah. It's like when I'm talking to some people, it's like I have to, you know, reiterate to them, like uh, the biblical audience did not see a demon behind every rock. Like the civilizations around them seemed to be more spooked than what they were, you know, like they took human accountability to, you know, just as much as extent than what they would the supernatural. So if their crops didn't turn out right, you know. Oh man, I'm cursed. Somebody cursed me. No, you didn't tend to your field like you were supposed to, you know. So uh 
that's the, you know, with kind of some, some folks, you know, may, because the door slammed shut in my house, something's in my house. Well, it might be a draft, you know, like kind of, you know, crossing, crossing your T's and dying your eyes before you rule out is that's what, what I'm hearing, what it sounds like that goes into diagnosing somebody with possession, right? You want to make sure it's nothing else in place. Correct. Yeah, no, that's exactly uh, right. That's, uh, that's a good example of, about how people can get carried away in this field too. I always like, uh, C.S. Lewis's, uh, general statement mm-hmm. wrote in the book he said uh there are two extremes and one extremes is people throughout um is is when people deny the demonic altogether right and 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 increasingly in modern society that is a not uncommon position mm-hmm. well, i also emphasize that throughout history the vast vast majority of people and even in the United States, most people and around the world today do believe in evil spirits. Right. So I in no way think I'm sort of out of the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Uh, I may be out of the mainstream in my profession, but I'm not out of the mainstream in terms of, you know, most people around the world. But C.S. Lewis said the other extreme is to see the devil everywhere and get preoccupied with it. Right. And as you say, start to attribute uh, any odd things in life or or um, things that go wrong in life is automatically caused by by demons like saying every illness comes from mm-hmm. you know demons uh, we don't believe that and uh, that's one of the reasons though that um, you know a lot of clergy will bring a psychiatrist like myself into this to uh, help sort out sometimes when it's hard for them to do that themselves. Right. So let me, before we go a little bit deeper, I want to start, what was it like when those two, was it two priests or one priest that came to you, as you mentioned in your book, I think it was one priest with the case of oppression with the Hispanic young lady. What was that like? Did as a Catholic then did you believe in exorcisms? I mean, I know with your background academically, did you kind of push that off as like, eh, you know, almost how uh, Enlightenment period did with a lot of miracles? Well, well, we have it's more updated modern medicine, you know, blase, blase. Was it was it like I'm very skeptical about this or maybe let me help them out and say, well, this person might be a schizophrenic? Well, I was certainly skeptical that I would see many cases during the course of my career. Uh, I was a believer, Mm -hmm. so I did believe the stories in the Gospels, although I also understood that, you know, there were some experts or so-called experts who were explaining away some of those phenomena. So... I would say that um, I certainly was open to the idea that people could be demonically attacked mm-hmm. and certainly that occasionally God would work miracles. But I thought they were rare enough that I wasn't likely to see them and that the vast majority of people who thought that they were demonically attacked were going to turn out to have some kind of medical or mental illness. And there's, there, there is truth to that because there are a lot of people and there are more people who think they are attacked by the demons than really are. Yeah. Uh, but I went into it uh, with, with some skepticism. And then uh, I certainly, when the priest described this case of this woman who was getting literally beat up by spirit, she wasn't possessed. Mm-hmm. But she was a, a very... Um, holy, charitable woman, uh, mm-hmm. married woman, who um, was very involved in the pro-life movement. And when he told me that uh, she would have bruises all over the, her body uh, caused by evil spirits, uh, mm-hmm. I definitely went into that kind of skeptical. 
but uh, after I met her and heard the whole story and, and ruled out, including in combination with some other doctors, that she could have any kind of bruising disorder. Uh, sometimes people have problem with the clotting in their blood by platelets. But all her, all her tests uh, were um, negative. All her medical tests were negative. Her story was very credible. She and her husband would uh, uh, witness uh, bruises just appear spontaneously as if she was being uh, pummeled by evil spirits. They mm -hmm. believed that these were evil spirits. And it turned out, I said to the priest, this one exorcist, uh, who was a prominent guy uh, in the field, and I said, well, I, Father, I think indeed you're right that this is an oppression. And um, after that, of course, he um, began to show me a lot more cases. And eventually I came to see uh, possessions as well. Right. Um, it says on uh, page 30 of your book, talking about uh, this particular case, her name is Maria. And obviously, you know, Dr. Gallagher does change the names obviously you gotta deal with HIPAA laws and such and so any exorcist will tell you you know because of certain regulations as you guys listened to the last episode with father younger uh he did not go into detail of protection uh for these folks but he says uh the the lady's name that he's talking about now uh maria and her husband alejandro believed the devil was targeting her and it goes on to page 31, it's talking to her possibly for religious zeal and good works, or perhaps Maria added a brujo, a nasty man, uh, or a sorcerer had put a curse on her, although neither uh, she nor Alejandro could explain why would why the devil or the or demons would single her out. What was the conclusion? Like, why was she being attacked? Is it because of you know, the Bruho Bruha put a put a hex on her uh, curse, or was it just because that she was actually spreading the gospel, doing the good works, and you know, bam. Well, I I think it does underscore her case. Underscores a very important point mm -hmm. because you will see some 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 good Christians who say, well, a good Christian is never attacked by evil spirits, right? Know? Right. That is not true. Right. That in fact, evil spirits can go after holy people in different ways. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and evil spirits will go after people for different reasons. Some people have and genuinely opened themselves up to the devil in some ways. But they also uh, sort of particularly hate people who are spreading the gospel, people who are holy. And uh, it is unfortunate that some churches in America will say, well, you know, you must have done something very sinful for this to happen. Uh, that's not always the case. So in her case, I think that she was targeted a little bit precisely because she was such a good, holy person. Now, it, it, it may be complicated because in her case, she did... Um, have contact apparently mm -hmm. not of her not of her own free will, but there was someone in her in her town. Uh, she was Mexican American, and she, there was someone in her town who was described as a brujo or a sorcerer. And uh, we were never quite sure, and one has to be a little skeptical of curses and stuff. Mm -hmm. but, most people throughout history, Trevor, and in most countries in the world today, are a little more believing that curses and hexes occasionally do happen. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I do think that was a possibility, although I think that stuff is very rare. Um, I, I think that most people who are subject to hexes and curses paradoxically may have allowed themselves to be a little vulnerable. Mm -hmm. In other words, if a person is spiritually strong and if a person is um, 
really protecting themselves in a, in a, in a good Christian way with their prayers and everything. It is unlikely that the demon is going to get all that much of a hold on a person. Right. Unlikely, for instance, that they would ever get possessed. But I, but I do, I do uh, after many years of talking to a lot of people who credibly have felt that they may have been cursed, uh, I, I do believe that's sometimes a factor. And there is always one factor or another. I tell another story in the book where a guy came to me uh, from the Pacific Northwest and, and he was being demonically oppressed. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it took me many sessions with him. You know, these, these people are not patients of mine, by the way. They're just people I consult for. And uh, it took many sessions for him to admit to me that when he was young, he had unfortunately made a, a kind of a very loose pact with uh, Satanism. He promised his mm-hmm. promised himself to Satan, uh, and I think that's much more of a common way that someone uh, gets demonically attacked than a curse. Um, people will turn to Satan directly, and I've seen those kind of cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, including even people who are Satan worshipers. More commonly, people just will just turn to evil or occult practices in some serious way. And all those people are much more commonly attacked by either an oppression or, or a possession than a holy person like Maria. But it shows that even with a, a, a good Christian woman like, like Maria, uh, that, that, that sort of thing can happen. Right. Um, let me let me ask you this. I want to. Ha, why while you're working with these folks, have you ever seen as far as the and this will be considered external oppression or vexation? I know that's kind of a toss up which terminology to use with certain folks involved in the field. Have you ever seen it manifest in front of you like, you know, maybe uh, somebody that is oppressed coming to you seeking help, like abrasions on the skin, claw marks, anything. Have you ever seen that in front of you in your office? I have actually, uh, you know, I've never seen a, a spirit manifest itself visibly. Mm-hmm. And I've also never seen uh, an immediate physical attack, what you're referring to as external elements of oppression. I have had many, many people who have described those attacks. I've seen the results of the attacks, the bruises, mm-hmm. scratches, and stuff like that. And uh, I've certainly seen many people who have brought me pictures, credible pictures of, of, of such evidence. What I have heard, uh, especially during uh, exorcisms now, I'm not an exorcist, I'm not a clergy person, um, but I've been to, you know, probably over a hundred exorcisms just as an observer. Mm-hmm. Sometimes uh, our church likes to have a doctor or a nurse there or something. Right. Uh, and I certainly have, have seen uh, demons um, talk mm-hmm. uh, through the person. Uh, I've also certainly uh, heard them speak in foreign languages, uh, languages that the person never could have known. And, and even outside of the exorcisms, sometimes uh, during my exams of these people, uh, the demons uh, will uh, sometimes break through and, and talk and curse and things like that. So uh, I could say that I've heard demons. Uh, thank the Lord, I've never seen one. Right, right. Yeah, praise God for that. Um, so I mean, it seems it's like it is this intense for you? I mean, just anybody that I, I mean, like the book is phenomenal. I mean, I, I my book is that I have Dr. Gallagher's. I mean, it's chalk filled with notes. I mean, you know, it's it's phenomenal. It was it seemed intense because I'm like, well, if I am Dr. Gallagher, if I put my shoe, put myself in the shoes in that position, it's like, whoa. I mean, you hear about it, you read about it in the gospels, but because how advanced we are in society, it's like if something like that were to happen, like how 
your reaction to that, you know, hearing them speak and going to, you know, exorcisms or, you know, being the, being the medical doctor, is it intense? Yeah, it can be, it can be quite intense. And mm -hmm. I suppose at this point in my life, I've seen enough cases and I do try to protect myself spiritually. Right. I, That's important. My own uh, spiritual practices. And I ask for the prayers of people all the time. So I'll ask your audience to pray for me, please. Please. We are praying. We're praying. Uh, Certainly in the beginning, when I first saw cases, uh, it was pretty intense. I was taken aback. I, mm -hmm. I, think, I think with a lot of experience, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a doctor. I have to keep my head and keep my cool and uh, sort of just concentrate on helping these individuals. So uh, I'd say more, more recently, it never becomes entirely routine, but, uh, you know, I... I I, I, I tend to evaluate these these people in a pretty calm way at the moment. Right. Well, let me let me ask you this, because you talked about the occult and, you know, a lot of things that I've read, I've been listening to. It's it's always and I think what the what both Catholics and Anglicans follow the checklist. Um, Father Vincent Lambert has it in his book, the checklist that they go by. What seems to be so common when, you know, doing a history on the person is the occult anything have you, have you played with any ouija boards tarot cards been the psychics mediums clairvoyance evolved in any type of satan group is this the most common history element in your cases is something dealing with the occult uh, satanic group playing with something that they should not be how dangerous is that how common and then how dangerous, hopefully it helps. You know, I'm not saying that everybody who, uh, you know, plays with the Ouija board, they don't take it very seriously or they, they read a Harry Potter book or something. I'm not right. saying all those people automatically are going to be attacked. But if one has a serious involvement or a serious interest in occultism of different mm -hmm. things, including, you know, going to psychics, um, uh, getting interested in witchcraft, uh, um, especially in combination with doing anything about it, you mm -hmm. know, wearing, you know, demonic paraphernalia or, or doing evil things in part, uh, in part and parcel as part of some kind of occult practice. Right. That's when a person really um, foolishly is opening themselves up. Um, I like to say I, I like to say to people I like to phrase it: people who have a serious involvement in occultism or evil or very sinful things. Those are the people who open themselves up, and sometimes right. things are found together. Sometimes they're found separately. You know, people can do evil things without necessarily being explicitly a cult about it right right all right so i wanted i wanted to uh speed along a little bit some of the uh more responsive parts of your you know when we were advertising for uh this podcast have have come in from the case about julia the satanic queen high priestess what when that happened i mean I, I thought I had, I thought when I got to that chapter, it was me and a friend of mine, we were reading through that chapter. I was like, man, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to make it through this chapter. It was, it was intense. What, what was going on with that? Was this the most probably, and I, I know probably since then uh, you might've had some more cases since this, had this been the most uneasy case that you've experienced? Can you tell us a little bit about Julia, all that went on with that? Yeah, that was the most dramatic case I've ever seen. And very early on, that same priest had uh, brought uh, Julia to my house, which mm -hmm. I thought was a bad idea. Uh, but he wanted to keep the case moving, and he had already concluded that she was possessed. And interestingly, I tell several stories about her in the book, including that the night the night before she came to my house, 
my wife and I noticed that the cats in our house went berserk, uh, mm -hmm. separate them. And then when I was introduced to uh, the woman I called Julia the next morning by this exorcist, uh, she looks me in the face and the first words out of her mouth is, uh, hi, Dr. Gallagher, how did you like the cats last night? So, well, you know, she knew about it or had contributed to that. Mm -hmm. I was I was pretty taken aback as well as annoyed. Uh, later, I was uh, involved in a car ride with her where the priest and I were in the back of the, um, uh, were driving in the front seat of the car and she was sitting in the back and she did go into a possessed trance for about um, five minutes uh a very a very um uh evil sounding uh, voice came out of her using her vocal cords but uh because a possession is the c control of the body it's not the control of the soul mm -hmm. so the demon was using her vocal cords but in a in a in a uh, much more guttural way and was basically for five minutes cursing the cursing the priest i remember she called him at some point you uh, effing monkey priest, uh, leave, 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 leave us alone. You'll be sorry. And the priest gave me a look like, you know, do you see Dr. Gallagher, what, what we're involved with here mm -hmm. later during the exorcism, she had, uh, some of the most dramatic exorcisms that has ever been reported to me. I'm, you know, I've been a pretty busy guy, uh, with a family and, um, you know, my career. So I didn't go to any of it, her exorcisms, but about eight people who witnessed, you know, all salt of the earth people told me that she levitated for about a half an hour. Mm -hmm. She spoke foreign languages, which I have seen in many other exorcisms and uh, exhibited what they call the criteria of superhuman strength, um, trying to escape from the people holding her down. Mm -hmm. So um, the, the, the priests, the two priests involved, uh, including the chief exorcist, who was another guy who later verified this on a radio program, um, they knew she was possessed from the beginning what they were concerned about and why they wanted Julia to speak to me, which I did on, on a number of occasions, was why she was so ambivalent. Mm -hmm. uh, she did want to be relieved of her possession, but unfortunately, she didn't really seem to want to leave this occult mm -hmm. in part because she had some, you could call it psychic abilities, which again, were, were not of her own, but were granted to her by Satan. Right. She explicitly worshiped Satan, who she called her master. So exactly what her motivation was, other than wanting to be rid of the possession, was a little unclear to the priest. Mm -hmm. So he wanted me to help her sort it out. Uh, and uh, the fact of the matter is that she was a very conflicted woman. For instance, uh, in, in many ways, the cult had become her home. Yeah. And she probably was in love with the leader of the cult. But in addition, she was also afraid of leaving the cult. And she was also afraid of, of losing these psychic powers that she feel, felt Satan granted her. Now, I, I don't want to indicate, I, I don't want to suggest that these cults are common. Mm -hmm. they, they, a few of them do exist. Yeah. Especially early on in my psychiatric career, there was a certain hysteria, they call it the satanic panic, where right. people were seeing Satan everywhere and blaming Satan for all these, you know, kidnaps, sometimes even imagining, if you can believe this is true, mm -hmm. imagining they were, you know, ritually abused as a kid and had forgot it and then only remembered it later. So there was, there were these exaggerations. But this woman, and it was remarkable, number one, that she told me these stories uh, and that she actually, even though I don't use her name, she actually gave me permission to write at her, uh, to write about her, which mm -hmm. I did at length in the book. Now, because she uh, never really gave up her involvement with the cult and even Satanism, naturally, she was not delivered. Right. She wanted it both ways. She wanted to be 
um, freed from the possession without turning to Christ. And, you know, you have to make your choice. In fact, yeah. a, part of, a big part of uh, working with possessed individuals is not just to say the prayers of exorcisms, which help, help keep the demons under control, uh, but um, you have to work at it yourself. You have, yeah. to, you have to become more spiritual and more attuned to uh, the Lord uh, or else you're not going to be delivered. Right, right. So it's, you know, you, you what they say, per, the most important part in the, these uh, ministries, exorcism or deliverance, uh, you know, obviously Jesus Christ with a person that is under attack, possessed, they have to want to be freed. You have to use your free will as people, just as you, your free will, if you went down that path of the occult, you chose that. You have to want to be free first, but you also need to develop that relationship with Christ Jesus. You know, if it, if it's attending mass or if it's attending Bible study, uh, Sunday morning worship services, you know, getting involved in church, it's going to take an effort on your end, you know. And so it's, it's not like I want to be freed. And it's like, you know, what sounds like with Julie, I wanted my cake and eat it, too. But it's like, no, it's not going to happen. So I, I would say, too, like when I was reading that chapter, Dr. Gallagher, my heart, as you started to speak with her, my heart started to break for her because it seemed like the cycle. It started with the, you know, the abuse, obviously what happened, uh, sexual, sexually, sexual molestation. I'll get it right one day. Um, started there and then she winds up finding this satanic group and. I don't know if you call him a high priest or whatever in the satanic cult that she was a part in, you know, was using her and the queen of the group and a heart, right. which is precisely why she had such a dramatic case. Yeah. And it, I mean, it just started to, it's just like a cycle of nonstop abuse with her desiring to be loved to find that love of a man. And it just started like where it started off intense. My heart started to break for her. And it was just kind of like a, a felt a heaviness, just like a burden that you would like Christ would feel the indignation when we when he'll come across some type of injustice in the Gospels. So and that's what I felt with Julia um, with that. But I want to could you talk a little bit about what goes on when you are talking with people like obviously you're 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 brought in for the medical examination, the psychiatry, psychology aspect of it. What is what 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 is that like if you're able to talk about, you know, what goes into play conversation, you know, how do you start going down your checklist of ruling out, you know, mental illness or possession or ruling out possessional possession? It may be some type of mental illness. Well, what I mostly do is a kind of standard medical workup where, mm -hmm. um, since a lot of the cases that are tricky or hard to discern turn out to have psychiatric problems. Mm -hmm. Always, they might, they might have something that seems like a medical problem, uh, like a seizure disorder or something. So um, I do a pretty standard medical workup. And, you know, if, if we need to, I'll even do laboratory tests or x-rays or something, if it's needed. It's not always needed. Mm -hmm. But I will do a very uh, standard uh, history uh, I'll do a standard, um, what we call a mental status exam, and I'll, I'll, I'll really be able to discern, and, and I can do this with a great deal of confidence usually, I'll be able to discern whether this is demonic or uh, medical um, or psychiatric. And um, then I give my opinion to the clergy person who in fact makes the official diagnosis, which is a spiritual diagnosis. Right. Um, but I, I look for a number of things. Uh, I, I always tell people, you have to look at the totality of the case. Mm -hmm. So you're gonna see something in their history that suggests why this may have happened to them, including the fact that they may be a holy person and attacked for that reason. Yeah. But commonly, especially in the more severe cases, 
the person has done something in their history to, so to speak, open the door, as we say. So you look at the history, you look at the context, and then you look at the particular, you know, uh, presentation. Mm-hmm. And at least with a possession, these rare possessions, you're always going to get some indication of something attempting and succeeding in controlling the individual. Often that person will uh, occasionally go into a trance, uh, which generally happens during the exorcism as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you'll have the clear evidence for the emergence of a separate personality. And, you know, we always we always emphasize certainly in the catholic church that there has to be moral certitude that not just going to willy-nilly say well we spiritually intuit that this person is you know uh, oppressed or possessed they have to meet certain definite criteria now the criteria are varied Mm -hmm. i like to talk about they have hidden knowledge of things they may exhibit extremely abnormal movements or strength, exhibit strength to right. a, a superhuman degree. They may speak in foreign languages that they uh, have never known. Uh, and there are other things too that that can uh, exhibit that might seem to be in the realm of either the so bizarre and extraordinary that they don't seem normally uh, humanly possible or easy or explainable by medical reasons uh, or outright what the modern term is uh, demonstrating something that's truly paranormal like the things. Mm-hmm. And once you have that, once you have evidence that this is a person who might have been possessed given their history, this is a person who seems to be controlled at times by a spirit and that spirit is clearly manifesting itself by these extraordinary signs, uh, sometimes paranormal features, uh, then you can be pretty pretty clear that what's going on is not psychiatric or medical, it's uh, demonic. But you have to have, you have to fulfill those rigorous criteria. Sometimes it takes a while. Mm -hmm. Like any medical diagnosis, sometimes you don't get the whole story right away. Um, but I know the exorcists that I work with, whether they're Catholic or, or, or Protestant, say, uh, they tend to be, you know, fairly educated, um, cautious, sober people who do look for these strict criteria. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let me, um, so as far as I know, there's only two books by medical doctors psychiatrists that are out on the subject one is by the late dr scott m peck uh m scott i think it's m scott peck by the way he has a book called glimpses of the devil uh he since deceased i read his after your after i did your book um what are your thoughts on hypnosis because he seems to take a different approach and try to counsel the demon or talk to the demon directly what are your thoughts on hypnosis as far as dealing with this? Well, uh, I actually was was I actually was trained in hypnosis. Okay, and, and it's it can be a helpful procedure, especially to get someone to learn how to relax and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But I never use it in my in my practice. Uh, Sigmund Freud, who, um, you know, had some interesting things to say, although a lot of his uh, methods were marred by his um, atheism and and anti-Christian, anti-Christian attitudes, anti-religious attitudes. Um, But he, he, he gave up hypnosis because he felt that it was too easily subject to, uh, being misused by patients who were too easily suggestible. Mm-hmm. I, I find the same thing. I, I, I don't think it's very useful in normal psychotherapy. Uh, and, and sometimes when people are hypnotized, they can come up with memories that, you know, 
they think are true, but are not even true. Right. So I kind of uh, disagreed with the way uh, Dr. Peck uh, did some of that stuff. And also the fact that he actually, as a doctor, uh, not only engaged with the demons, which I discouraged anybody except, you know, somebody who's really authorized to do that sort of thing. Um, and um, he uh, even did an exorcism himself. Mm -hmm. I think I think he was very unwise. No, I think he, he you know, he's trying to do the best he, he, he could. I don't think he was aware of the centuries, century old wisdom. Right. Classification of these things. So he was going in a little bit on his own, uh, which may not have been super wise. Now, I want to say that there are, you know, I'm not the only psychiatrist in the world who, who believes in this stuff. I may, uh, you know, my, my academic chairman who, who actually encouraged me to investigate this stuff. Wow. Said that I may, uh, and he was a Catholic and he, mm -hmm. he had seen an exorcism when he was younger. Uh, he's, he's retired now. Um, but uh, he said that, you know, the book I wrote may be unique in history because it is unusual for a, certainly an academic psychiatrist to investigate and write about these things. And uh, in addition, you know, he rightly points out that I may have seen more of these cases than any other doctor in the world. However, I want to emphasize that, you know, I'm not the only person who does this evaluation. And there are other, other doctors who have written about their experiences in different mm -hmm. Uh, as I said, psychiatrists tend to be a little more skeptical even than the average American about this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I don't think my beliefs, when you, when you look at, you know, Christianity, Islam, uh, even in the Eastern religions tend to believe in, um, uh, you know, which, which don't understand the fullness of... Uh, of, of Christ, obviously, but they, they, they do attempt to expel evil spirits and they believe in evil spirits. So throughout history as well, uh, Trevor, most people, as I mentioned, have believed in this stuff and have tried to do what they can given the beliefs of their own religion. Mm -hmm. so I don't think um, in any way out of the mainstream, but even other, even other psychiatrists, let alone a lot of clergy now have, have written books about this stuff. Right. So would you say the idea in psychiatry of accept, accepting something preternatural is coming around? Well, psychiatry as a whole has moved a little bit beyond the anti-religious uh, prejudices mm -hmm. of the early psychoanalytical movement. I, I am a psychoanalyst, but I certainly don't believe that, you know, Freud's ideas attacking religion, you know, are sensible ones. Uh, I actually think he was a brilliant but prejudiced man who was uh, basically a materialist. Mm -hmm. uh, and that spirit had certainly influenced not so much psychiatry as the subfield of psychoanalysis, but it became very influential. Uh, including in American psychiatry for a while. As American psychiatry has become, you know, I would say a little more sophisticated about some of that stuff, uh, it, is, it is more open to different ideas of spirituality. Mm -hmm. as, as, as a science, not as a science of theology, but as a science of human behavior, it, it, it really... Um, understandably is not going to take a, a great position on spiritual phenomena or preternatural right. phenomena. So I, I'm not so sure it should get over involved in that. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, uh, even the official um, societies of psychiatry, like the American Psychiatric Association, are, are much more open to the value of a healthy, and I stress a healthy spirituality in a person's life. So it's like the uh, the once great divide of science and theology where they were, you know, theology was once viewed as the queen of science is starting to what it seems like come back around to each other. 
Well, at least I think people, uh, you know, intelligent people and people who, uh, you know, have some uh, appreciation for the realm of uh, the spirit and the importance mm -hmm. of healthy religion in a person's life. I, I, I do think people in our field as well are more open to that. And that's not to say that all that many of them are going to be, you know, open to the idea of, uh, of diagnosing uh, demonic attacks. Uh, right. Because that stuff is rare enough, uh, and because they see so many people who just imagine, you know, they're hearing voices of the de demons and stuff like that, mm -hmm. when it's uh, schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or something, uh, it's perhaps understandable that they have lingering skepticism in that area. Okay, let me ask you. Let me ask you this. I know we gotta gotta wrap up time here. We got about ten. Let me give about 10 minutes, if you don't mind, Tim, if you got 10 more minutes. Do you only see Roman Catholics and Protestant uh, clergymen who are involved in this come to you, or do you have other religious faiths that do seek your help? No, I, I have people of, of all religious faiths come to me. Okay. Uh, I usually like them to be referred by a clergy person, because I know that, you know, I'm a psychiatrist, I can help people. Uh, right. Do you, so you would have like an Islamic imam that would call you and say, hey, Dr. Gallagher, I have, you know, such and such. That has happened. That has happened. Okay. Because we, 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 we received that question, you know, uh, how could they cast out a demon, you know, several people, how can they cast out spirits if they're not Christian? But, you know, there's sources. I mean, we even find, you know, exorcism was already on the scene when Jesus showed up. So right. they had some methods. So in your experience, you know, are there clergy of different faiths? Maybe I didn't clear that question enough. I think there are good men of different faiths who okay. have some success. I, I, I definitely think that, uh, you know, as a Christian, that even they, like the concept of grace in general, uh, are you might say, uh, unconsciously uh, drawing on God's power, drawing on the power of Christ without without really knowing it. Right. I think some good people of other faiths, uh, you know, there are good people of other faiths by the grace of God uh, without knowing the fullness of, uh, you know, Christian belief. Uh, so I think there are some successes in other religions, although much more so in the uh, in the Christian orbit, I think uh, Christian exorcists, in my this is just my experience, are much more successful because they explicitly draw on our Lord. Okay, all right. Real quickly, can you you mentioned mentioned uh, one towards the beginning while we were talking about you know there is an unhealthy obsession with this field. You wrote about a girl uh, in your book uh, who was attached to a sort of a charismatic. Uh, group um, and she was longing for that fatherly love but she was kind of you use the word histrionics hopefully I'm pronouncing that correct what is the danger you know of of some someone obsessing because you were able to as soon as you all took her took her aside into you know the chapel room you and the priest the priest started praying she hit the floor started to slither like a snake do things you were able to say, no, she's faking, you know, what is the danger of somebody? You may have somebody look at it from an academic standpoint, you know, such as yourself, or, you know, if you're in seminary, you might be working on demonology, Satanology, angelology. So obviously that this is a part, right. Um, but somebody that's, that's watching horror films. I mean, you're watching the exorcist. What are the dangers of really, you know, becoming too obsessed with this? Well, I think in general, you know, as Christians, we, we should concentrate on the fact, uh, uh, the positive elements of religion. In other words, uh, you know, we understand God loves us, mm -hmm. understand that he wants to save all people, um, and uh, that he gives us, you know, the means of salvation and sanctification during our life. Mm -hmm. um, people who get too preoccupied or fascinated by 
the darker side, which exists and which people need to take, uh, take into account, uh, can sometimes get carried away, either with a kind of unhealthy obsession with the topic or anxiety about the topic. Right. Or in rare cases, like the um, case of the young lady I wrote about in the book, their imagination goes a little bit wild and they, because of psychological reasons, need for attention, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. They actually um, uh, imagine that they're attacked when in fact, you know, to a sensible doctor, let alone most uh, clergy can spot, you know, the fact that there are fakes. Uh, I write about in the book uh, chapter where I talk about the, the kind of false or counterfeit cases and the ones, the ones I see over and over are either people who are psychotic, people can be psychotic and think they're attacked by evil spirits or hearing evil spirits when their primary problem is mental illness. Other people can have what we call uh, Trevor personality disorders where they're very drawn to the dark side and even evil, uh, but they're not, they're not truly experiencing what we call an overt or extraordinary attack of demons. And then there's this uh, final group that I think is sometimes commonly mistaken themselves or by people around them as demonically attacked. Those are the kind of uh, people who are very suggestible, histrionic, who dissociate. Mm -hmm. For instance, I've also seen scores of cases of multiple personality in my life, which is now called dissociative identity disorder. And some some people will say, well, that's what all these people are. You know, when, when a demon voice comes out of them, they must be just an example of multiple personality or dissociation. And uh, uh, again, that's not true at all. You, you can make the distinction. But it is true that some people who suffer from uh, dissociative identity disorder will will have different sides of themselves that come out in so-called alters, including maybe, uh, uh, you know, more of an evil side of them that comes out. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're attacked. So those are the kind of, so I, I, you know, we talked about some of the medical conditions, but those are some of the psychiatric conditions that people can confuse. And uh, again, why sometimes, um, a certain amount of expertise, which I tried to put into the book, uh, is necessary to help sort things out. Good, good. All right, so if we can do this in two minutes, three minutes, is there anything else that you would like to add that we did not cover? Um, I know we kind of did a nutshell of your book, but uh, is there anything that we that you find important that you would like to share with the audience at this time? I'd just like to reinforce the point that you articulated uh, very well earlier. Uh, I've known most of the, or put it this way, a lot of the most prominent exorcists in the world over the last 25 years. And they they all agree that exorcism is not for everybody, you know? Mm -hmm. You know, people who are possessed don't need formal, uh, oppressed don't need formal exorcisms usually. but in addition, you know, the main thing is the person's spiritual journey and the need to um, turn to Christ. And uh, many of the exorcists have said that's even with a severe oppression, it's, it's 10% helped by the exorcism and it's 90, 90% helped by their turning in prayer and, uh, and renouncing their, their past involvement or sins. That's the important, I think, pastoral point that Hollywood often gets wrong, but that right. that good Christians should keep in mind. Right. Well, good, good. I tell you what, this has been such a phenomenal podcast. I know I've enjoyed it. I know my audience is going to enjoy it. Hopefully you all enjoy it. You can pick up Dr. Gallagher's book, Demonic Foes, My 25 Years as a Psychiatrist Investigating Possessions, Diabolic Attacks, and the Paranormal from Amazon. Barnes and Nobles, any place that sells books. I know I saw his book in Barnes and Nobles physically, saw it on the shelf. I was like, man, this is Dr. Gallagher. I have it at home, but you can get it anywhere that sells books without a doubt. Probably your best bet is go Amazon or you can go to HarperCollins direct. I'm not certain if HarperCollins does sell books directly to the public or unless you have to. Go to, okay. as well, yeah. 
Okay, so it is published by HarperCollins, which is academic in and of itself, which is, I have quite a few. There's Circle, my office here, uh, that's published from HarperCollins, so it is trustworthy. Uh, Dr. Gallagher, appreciate you. Thank you so much. Is there any type of other resources? I know your book. Is there any other resources you recommend? Because I know I'm going to get some inboxes. Hey, man, what were the books you talking about? <laughs> Well, you mentioned Father Lampert. He has a nice book where he, he gets, my book gets more into the discernment and some technical aspects of the field, right. although I tell a lot of stories, uh, whereas Father Lampert concentrates a little more on the uh, pastoral aspect and the theology of it. So that's a good book as, as sort of complementary to my own. Okay. Well, hey, listen, thank you all so much. Um, stay tuned to our Instagram page and I will post, uh, if you're interested in more, post some pictures of, um, Dr. Gallagher's book and others as well. Thank you so much. We appreciate y'all. God bless you. Peace.